We are in the prophet Ezekiel, another one of those major prophets, large prophetic books like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Ezekiel is speaking to that traumatic time in Israel's history when they are carried into exile. And Ezekiel has crazy uh, visions and crazy tasks that he's asked to do as a prophet. And in the first chapter, he has a vision of God's glory. And that glory is so great that it has Ezekiel flat on his face on the ground. So we're going to be in Ezekiel 2, which tells you what happens next. And before we do that, let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we have just sung. We do pray that by your Spirit, you will open us up to hear you, to let your word be planted deeply in us and internalized in us. It is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1, into chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to God's word to you. He said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them, and do not be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns surround you and you live among scorpions, Do not be afraid of their words, and do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I looked, and a hand was stretched out to me, And a written scroll was in it. He spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back. And written on it were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. He said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, mortal, eat this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it. And in my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So what in the heck is happening with Ezekiel? A lot. A lot of trauma. Allow me to explain. Ezekiel is actually from a long line of of, uh, priests in Jerusalem, and he probably had the expectation that he would serve in the temple in Jerusalem, so he had a great future in front of him. And then, boom, disaster struck. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar from the very powerful Babylonian Empire came marching in with his troops into Jerusalem, conquered the city, gathered up all the elites in the city, including the priests, including Ezekiel, and marched them out of Jerusalem and out of the country and into Babylon. So here is Ezekiel now. His future has completely changed. He's in a land that he does not know, among a language he does not know, in a culture he does not know, they worship gods he does not know. So if you can just try on for a moment the complete loss and disorientation that's going on for Ezekiel. On top of that, the guilt of the people, the people of Israel. It's a rebellious house. Did you hear those phrases and those words over and over again? The people and their ancestors. Now, I imagine that Ezekiel as a priest probably thought, not me, I haven't rebelled, I I love God, I love God's word. And yet, this is not about individual guilt. This is about the people's guilt, the nation, the house of Israel, which I think is hard for us to fully understand in our culture today. So I'm going to give you an illustration. I have been noticing a few data points uh, that have to do with birds recently. One's a real positive one, and one's a not-so-positive one. The positive one I saw in Christian Century when I was reading that magazine, it was just a little blurb, and I thought it was fascinating, and it said this. I love birds, by the way. A new study reveals that human happiness correlates to the number of bird species in a given area. The presence of 14 additional bird species provided as much satisfaction as earning an additional $150 a month, leading scientists to conclude The conservation is as important for human well-being as financial security. I thought that was fascinating. Also recently, I've heard another statistic that is not quite so great, and that is in 2019, uh, Audubon published a study, a a very large study, uh, collaborated by a lot of large organizations, that was trying to document the decline in the bird population in the Western Hemisphere, and they discovered that since 1970, we have lost 29% of our bird population. That's a lot. 90% of those are among 12 different uh, uh, bird groups, including warblers, sparrows, blackbirds, finches. Now, there's no one single cause for this decline, but human encroachment, use of pesticides, climate change are all contributors. So thinking about those two things, holding those together, and then thinking about Genesis 1 and why we were put here and how we were put here, made in God's image. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. There is this corporate responsibility for what's going on. Not me, I love birds. But there is something going on in our calling where we have failed to be the caretakers that God created us and called us to be. So there was this trauma for Ezekiel, this forced migration 
out of Jerusalem into Babylon and all the loss and disorientation went with that. On top of that trauma, there was the trauma of Israel's guilt, ignoring God's word, mocking God's word, listening to others instead of God's word. And now on top of that trauma, there's also the loss of what I call their God bearings. You've heard us talk in, in the last several weeks as we've talked about what it meant when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. For the people, that was like saying their relationship with God was destroyed. Because for them, God's presence, God's covenant, it was all experienced in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple in the city. So not only did Nebuchadnezzar come in and take out all the elites and had that forced migration, also the city was decimated. The temple was decimated. So did that mean their story with God was over? Did that mean that the covenant that they had with God was over? So trying on all that loss for Ezekiel, what did Ezekiel have? Ezekiel had the word of God. He said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Wow. So God appears to Ezekiel, speaks, sends the spirit inside of Ezekiel, and then hands him a scroll with God's words written on both sides which he's told to eat, to take into his stomach, to internalize into his very being, enough so that he can speak confidently to a very unresponsive and hostile people, so that they will know that a prophet has been among them. And that's what Ezekiel did for the rest of this very large book, 46 chapters, bringing God's truth bringing God's promises of a restoration and transformation so that the whole purpose of the book, which is said 50 times, all will know that I am the Lord. Now, as I read this and see what's happened with Ezekiel, I actually think about Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of John, he appears to the disciples. He has been crucified. He has been raised from the dead. And he enters into the room with them, and there he is, God's word in the flesh. And what does he want for them? He wants his spirit and his very self to enter into them. We are told in that passage that he, he looks at the disciples and he says, peace be with you, and then he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus also gives them the sacrament of his body broken and his blood poured out. He wanted God's word, he is God's word, in the flesh, internalized inside them and inside of us too. My favorite verses in Ezekiel are found in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This promise, a new heart I will give you inside a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. 
If we look at the large story, this is what God is up to in Jesus. Eventually, I think, handing all of us the scroll of God's word and saying, eat this, take this, take me, internalize me into yourself so that we can be God's Ezekiel's today. You know, this is not meant to be a spectator event, reading about Ezekiel. We are more than spectators here. You know, I've been around some Ezekiels recently, and I want to tell you about them. Past few weeks, actually it was two weeks ago, two of the Ezekiels that I was around, I wasn't literally around them, we were virtually on Zoom, but there is a national covenant group of Presbyterian pastors that has been gathering together since 1985. I joined the group later, and we decided to meet, even though we couldn't meet, um, virtually, And before we got together, two of those leaders asked us to read either The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby or White Too Long by Robert Jones so that we could have a discussion on racism in the church. Now, as you know, the insurrection in the Capitol on January 6th was a wake-up call for this country, but it was also a wake-up call for the church. Why? because the people that were in that angry and violent mob were carrying Confederate flags and the Bible and crosses and got inside and spent time in prayer. So one of the Ezekiels in our covenant group, Al Tim, he has worked in Detroit as a pastor and a Presbyterian exec. He's just an amazing man. And uh, he recently retired, but he put together a presentation, which I may embed in the email blast this next week, but I want to read just a few lines of what he shared with us. Friends in Christ, he said, there are many in our land who want to hold on to white supremacy. We saw it on TV when the angry mob stormed the Capitol, carrying Confederate flags and Bibles. I watched every moment of the coverage. In various ways over time, church leaders used the Bible and theology to justify the church's endorsement of white supremacy. And then he goes on to give several illustrations of that. But this one was new to me. One of the most famous revivalists in our country's history. He writes, the renowned revivalist George Whitfield owned slaves in Georgia, and they were the backbone of his orphanage and his evangelical outreach. He lobbied Georgia's government to legalize the ownership of slaves. You can find that history on the Old South Presbyterian Church of Newburyport main website. To commemorate the 250th year of his death, they are hosting a whole series on the problem of race in America. They should. Slave owner George Whitfield is buried under their pulpit, which was his request. We, the church, can't continue to be complicit in racism. Rather, we should be the driving force for change. We need to be, and he's quoting Isaiah 58, repairs of the breach. Al Tim, speaking with this group of evangelical pastors, all of which would raise our hands and say, well, I'm not racist. That's not me. I wasn't that kind of person, you know, with the Confederate flag. And yet, helping us own the guilt of the church and our ancestors. You know, he was like Ezekiel in that he'd internalized God's word 
and was bringing truth and transformation to God's people. The other Ezekiel in that group, to me, was Dennis McAleer, who led the discussion on the other book, White Too Long. I quoted that book before, a study by Robert Jones, and research that he's done, discovering that white Christians of all stripes are far more likely to be racist than white non-Christians. And as Dennis led that discussion, he ended with this very troubling quote. To put it more bluntly, Robert Jones writes, if you were recruiting for a white supremacist cause on a Sunday morning, you'd likely have more success hanging out in the parking lot of an average white Christian church, evangelical Protestant, mainline Protestant or Catholic, than approaching whites sitting out services at the local coffee shop. So, Dennis McAleer speaking truth, urging transformation to this group of white Presbyterian leaders. The other Ezekiel that I've been around recently, this last week, over a hundred people from our Presbytery gathered on a Zoom call with Kamal Hassan, who was beginning the first of ten parts in a series on racial healing. And once again, if you'd asked everybody on that Zoom call, we would say, not me. Not me. I am not racist. And yet, as a people, we are. And he encouraged us to listen, to learn, to own the problem, to do the work, the internalized work of God's word, bringing truth and transformation. We began that time on Zoom with the moderator, Talitha, singing this song out of Romans 8:19. Very moving rendition of this song, and these are the words. All creation groans. All creation labors. All creation waits for the revealing of the children of God. I think we know this, that all creation is groaning and all creation is laboring and all creation is waiting for you and me. I believe that in Jesus Christ, God is handing us the scroll to eat, the scroll of God's word. And what will we do with it? In Ezekiel's day, they ignored it. They mocked it. They listened to others. They failed to be God's people, and they did not realize how bad their failure was until they were in Babylon. You know, there's a reason we've been in this series, immersed in the biblical story. And certainly we have wanted you to become more familiar, all of us, me too, to become more familiar with this book. But more than that, we also want to internalize it into our very being, like Ezekiel, because that's the way God chooses to bring truth, to bring transformation to this world in Jesus Christ. We have a couple of opportunities to do that coming up. On Wednesday night, 
Ash Wednesday, our, our Zoom, helping you build a prayer space in your home. For to internalize God's word, it needs to be a part of your life where you live daily. That's one opportunity. And the other opportunity is we are going to start a new small group. Being in the word together with others makes a huge difference in terms of internalizing God's word, making it a part of your life. So many of you are in a small group, and if you're not, and you would like to be, we are forming a new small group on a Monday evening. And I'd love to hear if you're interested. I want you to hear now from Holly Bride Hayashida, who's just commenting on the importance of God's word in her own life. My name is Holly Bride Hayashida, and I came to personal faith um, as a young teenager, about 13. At that time, I was a part of a church that was a pretty conservative church. Um, there were a lot of do's and don'ts, and a lot of what I sort of learned in those days was uh, what Christians were, did, did do and didn't do. But one of the things that I am grateful for, even though I've rejected a lot of the legalism of those times, one of the things I'm grateful for is the emphasis on scripture. Um, as a young person, early in my faith development, I was encouraged to read scripture on my own, to study it, to memorize it, to be in a small group Bible study. And I have done a lot of those things over the years. Um, I'm particularly grateful for that emphasis on scripture and the importance of scripture because it feels like scripture has been really, I've breathed it in in a variety of ways um, throughout my life. And I'm, I, I can call it up when I need to. I think of, um, for example, Ephesians 4, 6, and 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I, that, that scripture comes to mind for me when I'm feeling anxious and when I'm worried about something, and there's certainly plenty of opportunities in life to feel anxious. And I, I tell myself, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but bring all your requests to God. And that is a, a great message for me to have. So I'm thankful for the emphasis um, that was given to me in my early years of faith development, to be in scripture, to learn scripture, to study it, to memorize it, and to really breathe it in, because that uh, practice has served me well through the years.